If you haven't in a while, you should visit a place where everyone waves with all five fingers. Here we talk about North Carolina real estate, business, and life. Welcome to today's Real Talk. I'm Justin Kazepis, 844-STUDIO-4, todaysrealtalk.com. Q&A session, always love it at the end of the show. You have time to get your questions in, 844-STUDIO-4. Drop us a line at info at todaysrealtalk.com. Excited to have Zach Aulis, the town manager of the town of Tryon here in North Carolina, the friendliest town in the South, as they say. We're going to find out what makes Tryon so friendly. We're going to check out their financials. We're going to look and see what's going on business-wise in Tryon. Always going to look at the real estate, see what the, the highs, the lows, the ebbs, the flows. Very excited. A strategic location, right? I talk about geography a lot from the, from the positioning perspective. Location, location, location. I think a big factor in markets that drives prices are the locations. It's an old saying, again, locations, locations, locations. If you've ever examined real estate, you've likely heard that, or if you've ever asked advice about real estate from someone, location, location, location. What makes a community thrive? What makes a community interesting? I think of it as quality of life. You want, not to use a you know, new age term, but the best way I can describe it, you want good vibes. You want a place that when you go there, you enjoy it. It's a good feeling. You feel uh, included. You feel wanted. You feel safe. You feel that it's got um, entertainment that you like, good food. I'm all about good food. Uh, Maybe a little golf, maybe a, a little outdoor time, maybe really good indoor activities as well. So what do you think about what comes to mind for you when you think about that optimum location? Why do you live where you live right now? Do you love where you live right now? Do you call it home? Do you call it a place of enjoyment? Or are you looking to get out? Are you looking to make a change? Are you in your current location purely because of work? Because of family? Because you traveled with someone in particular that brought you there? Are you just passing through? All of that's okay, and but I think we all want a place to call home. So what makes a house a home? And I think a lot of that has to do with community, location being a huge factor. But what else does the community offer? We're excited today to talk to Zach Aulis, again, town manager of the town of Tryon, just to find out what makes Tryon so special. Stick around. Some real talk. Oh, I need some real talk. Give me some of that real talk. Justin Kazepis, today's real talk, todaysrealtalk.com, 844-STUDIO-4. Uh, still got some time before the Q&A session. I'm excited to be joined now by Zach Aulis, the manager, town manager of the town of Tryon, North Carolina, the friendliest town in the South, just nestled on that border between North and South Carolina, outside of Asheville, the peaceful, serene Blue Ridge Mountains. You're kind of sitting right there at the foot of it. Zach, I, I, I'm curious. Define for us what a true try-on experience would be like if I was sitting in try-on right now. 
Um, I mean, it, it, it depends if you're a tourist or if you're, you know, a lifer or whatever, you know, but basically Trine itself is a small town, uh, really close to Asheville, basically. So it's, it's afforded a lot of the big city amenities with the short drive, but you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. It's a, it's a beautiful downtown. It was developed on a railroad that went from Ohio, uh, all the way down to Florida. So all the buildings are on one side of the road, you know, and they're very, historic buildings uh we've we filmed hallmark movies out there it's like you know it's that pretty so i mean it's it's a serene setting but basically you walk down to the local coffee shop you get some coffee hang out on the park benches downtown you know we got laws passed you can drink a beer on the street so in the evening you kind of go to the local watering hole grab a beer and just go up and down the street strolling through the different shops and art galleries um, we don't have any fast food joints, so it's all mom and pop stuff, uh, even a local owned grocery store. So it's, it's small town, uh, to, to a T, you know, it's quiet living, equestrian living. It just depends on what you want to get out of it. You just, you just gave us so much and I'm, I'm visualizing it right as you're explaining it, and you're hitting me with these points that, that when I think about like a vacation, Right. When I think about my dream vacation of I want to go somewhere where I could take my cell phone and I could just throw it. Right. I can just I can just get rid of it. Yeah. Not have to have it and enjoy the time I've got. So you mentioned in the beginning the tourist versus the lifer perspective. Let's let's look at it from the lifer perspective of Tryon because I'm I'm curious to delve into what it's like as a resident of Tryon. Um, let's call it as my primary residence. Even we'll mm-hmm. get into some of the secondary home uh, second home concepts. But primary residence, I'm living in Tryon. What am I expecting to see um, as the strongest business sector of the town of Tryon? So what we have really is a downtown that's built. Uh, there are local businesses that support the local economy, but, but a lot of our downtown, the central business district, has been developed around, we are a retirement community for Charleston. So people generally come up 26, hit the first mountain town, which is Tryon, and you know either buy a home, second home, whatever. But Basically, we have shops, art galleries, restaurants. We have one of the coolest movie theaters you'll ever see. So basically, it's a movie theater built in the 20s. One screen. It's been completely renovated. I think they spent about $2.2 million a couple of years ago. Completely gutted it. Uh, you can get a beer, get a glass of wine, get some traditional movie snacks. Uh, Mondays, they do an independent film. And then Tuesdays through the rest of the week, they do the typical blockbusters. So people come up, they catch a movie, they might go to uh, music in the park. We have music every other week. We have live music downtown almost weekly, uh, probably three, four nights a week. Then we have a fine arts center called the Tryon Fine Arts Center. They host acts from all over the world. You can catch a Russian ballet or you could, you know, watch jazz or some rock band. Or catch a movie outside there. They'll do movies outside, uh, concerts outside. So really, it's if you're in a certain age group and you're looking to kind of retire, but you don't want to just be bored all the time, that's that's where we excel. That's why Trine has become what it is, is because we have tons of festivals. We have tons of things going on. We have parties called Fourth Fridays where everyone comes downtown, 
We just do all sorts of stuff. This month, we're electing the dog mayor, of all things. Uh, we're raising money for Humane Society. So there's always something to do. If you're bored and trying, it's because you want to be. And that's something that we've created that helps those locals call it home. But it's also a place to where those locals, grandchildren or children can come visit and not be bored, find something to do. Or if you're from Charleston coming up for a week, you always know there's going to be something to do. There's the concept in North Carolina of an active living community, right, where you have to be 55 or older to live. This sounds like an active living community with no age restriction in that you could come there and always be finding local things to do, local activities to be able to participate with the other residents of the town, which sounds nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's right. I mean, we have a, an older population traditionally. What we're seeing post-COVID is an influx of young professionals that can work from home. Uh, they may not want to be in the city anymore, whether that's COVID or the way the world is today. It's just turning into a, if you can find a place that's maybe more affordable, a little bit out in the country, it might be worth your while to look at. So we're seeing a lot of growth in that sector as well, but we are traditionally a retirement community and that creates a lot of need for things to do. Talk to me about the equestrian aspect of the community. I, I've always wanted to ride horses, Zach. I've always wanted to get into it. You know, they got they have colleges with scholarships on yeah. this stuff. So I think I, I, there's a lot of – I watched it on TV, uh, you know, the, the races, the Kentucky Derp, right, all that kind of stuff that's out there. But you guys have an actual equestrian community. Talk to me about the equestrian communi- community within Tryon. Yeah, we have a huge equestrian community. Uh, basically, it started years ago. There was a man named Carter Brown uh, that that brought a lot of um, knowledge to the sport to the locals, and, and eventually, you know, the the Olympics team would train and try on, and it, it's just got a really rich history of of equestrian activity. But a lot of what makes it that way is the rolling landscape. So you're just before the Blue Ridge Mountains, and Almost anywhere in town, you can look around and see some gorgeous mountain view. But you also have the ability to purchase land that's rolling foothills, that's perfect for equestrian activity. And in the location itself, it's in what's called the thermal belt, or the isothermal belt, which traditionally means uh, warmer in the winter, cooler in the summer. Climate's a little bit more mild. Not only is that good for uh, the population that ten- ends up living in Tron usually, but it's also good for animals that are being pushed to the, you know, their limits doing these sports. Um, but basically, it's uh, it's been there for years, and then more recently, the International Equestrian Center was built, and that's a billion, multi-billion-dollar facility uh, with state-of-the-art anything you can imagine related to equestrian activities, events. They do polo. They do uh, a new thing called gladiator polo, which is on a smaller field. Um, they do the rides through the countryside. They had dressage, all the hunter-jumper activities. It's really interesting. It's a huge business, but it it has a name in Tryon. And that name, because of the history, is almost recognizable anywhere in the country to real horse community people they generally know the name tron one way or the other and that's that's why it's kind of stayed where it is zach so are you telling me if i come out to Tryon and i see you 
you're going to teach me how to play polo? Is that what you're telling me right uh, now? Well, yeah, I wish. No, um, no, nah, I mean, I'm too big to be on a horse. You know what I mean? Like, I'm 280, maybe 290 these days. So it's, you know, you want to be careful on a horse's back. I don't get up there, but I can definitely put you in touch with people that can teach you for sure. I'm going to have to make my way to try and learn how to play polo. And I'm getting you on a horse. I, I don't believe you with your numbers right now, Zach, but I'm going to get you on a horse, too. They'll be just fine, man. They, they, the horses can carry a lot of weight. And and I, I'm i up there with you, so I'm not going to worry about it. Vineyards. So we're talking about open, open container laws that you guys have there mm-hmm. in, in Tryon. We're seeing that trend. I'm seeing that locally in my area as mm-hmm. well, right, to in, to increase the the resident um, interaction with downtown businesses. Yeah, social district um, laws. Kind of entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, talk to me about the vineyards within Tryon as well. I know that that's pretty popular there. Too. Yeah, vineyards are really popular in our area. Obviously, the rolling hillsides that you see that are good for horses, they're also good for vineyards. Uh, and there's a rich history there. Um, basically, long story short, Tryon used to make the grapes that would go to the Biltmore. And in some places, they would even advertise Tryon grapes, you know, like whether it be for a dish or a side or breakfast somewhere it, it had a name back in the day and it's kind of fallen off because the vineyards have have lost basically the the homegrown aspects we're getting more vineyards that are being cultivated by people from you know outside the country outside the state um, but it still has a rich history in terms of that's what a lot of people do up here is on a Saturday afternoon you head out to a vineyard you'll see hundred something people a bunch of kids running through a field it's, it's just kind of a part of life when it comes to this portion of the state. Uh, much like when you go to Asheville, there's a lot of people at breweries. In our area, a lot of people go to the vineyards. Interesting. So, again, another outdoor kind of activity for the entire community to oh, participate yeah. in. Another fun activity I'm imagining that happens or is just interesting to me, Lake Lanier. So the town of Tryon, you guys own the lake or you manage the lake? Talk to me about that. Yeah, so uh, the town of Tryon actually owns the, technically we own the lake bed and all the water on top. So it's it's actually, it's where we get our drinking water. So what, what we do is we actually, it's in South Carolina, and we take water from South Carolina, we pump it up the mountain to North Carolina, uh, we treat it, and then we sell it back to everyone, including people in South Carolina. But it's, uh, it's a recreational lake. It's, it's a private lake for those that own property on the lake. Uh, the town's looking at doing some cool stuff with it in the future, you know, for recreational activities. But there's, uh, it's a really unique environment, and it's got a lot of history as well. So it's, it's one of those things. There used to be a thing called the Tea House out there, and it was right over the water, a big restaurant. And you hear everyone talk about the days of the tea house and stuff. So it, it's got a lot of history. It, it's calmed down lately. It's, it's second homes. It's retirement homes. It's family trusts will own a home and the whole family will come in for the holidays. So try on our area in general. Come Thanksgiving, all of a sudden our population explodes. You're like, where where'd all these people come from? But you know, a lot of people have their second homes up here that they come during holidays yeah and before we transition to the second home component the, you mentioned the drinking water so uh, uh, is the is the utilities for water facilitated by the town of tryon or is there a private company within tryon that handles that that distribution uh we do it all so uh when it comes to the town of tryon we 
we process water, we process wastewater, so we take it to our treatment plant, uh, clean it up, put it back out in the river, uh, and all that stuff's you know monitored by DEQ. Uh, basically, we provide sanitation, we provide planning services, police, fire, uh, you, you know your typical small town services. Wastewater treatment for for the the other folks in in, in um, the governance of local municipalities and, and management of uh, that's a big topic right now. I'm sure you're seeing that across the board in the state of North Carolina as far as development goes mm-hmm. and people wanting to tap. Uh, where are you guys at with that? What are, what is the current status and what do you think the projected outlooks are um, as it relates to wastewater treatment? Are you guys in a, in a sweet spot right now? Hey, bring on all the development. We're okay. Yeah. Or is it, Hey, we've got to manage this. Where, where are we at? Um, so the manager in me says, no matter how good of a spot you're in, you always have to worry and you always have to manage because there's so many things that can go wrong that all of a sudden your capacity is limited. And it, you have to balance sort of the services that you need to provide for the growth, but you also have to balance the services you're already providing. So you have to, you have to envision, if you will, if I'm projecting four apartment buildings going in, that's going to be this much. Like You can do those numbers, but you also have to factor in all the homes that are already here. Those pipes may be anywhere from 10 to 100 years old. So you have to start managing that. And post-COVID, you know, ordering pipes, ordering fire hydrants, anything like that has become a logistical nightmare. You just never know when you're going to get it. So you have to stock up and, and do your thing. But as far as where we are, uh, we feel comfortable with what we have. We don't have a moratorium like you see in other parts of the state. Um, so we're happy with where we sit. Now, now that from your perspective, so tell me what your engineers are saying then that, that that work within your municipality. What are they saying at this point about it? Are they comfortable as well? They think the management plan that's in place is good. What do you think some of those kind of big changes will be? Maybe not even in your municipality, but the trends you think you'll see across the state of North Carolina as it relates to the management of wastewater and capacity. Uh, yeah, facilities. I think the trends that you're going to see in wastewater are going to be uh, two main topics. One is going to be capacity. One is going to be can you handle everything coming in. That's going to be huge in certain places that are exploding. Anything in Wake County, anything in Buncombe County, uh, you know, Mecklenburg County is growing, but but their infrastructure is uh, usually pretty set already. You know, they're in a good position overall. They may have issues with other things, but um, any major county, you're going to see large, large growth. And the neighboring counties, you're going to see the same. Uh, the other issue is, you know, you're going to see across the board, there's going to be a change in terms of testing, in terms of, you know, the levels of things that are allowed to be put back into the river. Uh, the same with, you know, when you pull your water in, the amount you're going to be allowed to pull in, stuff like that. So, uh, if you follow anything, you know, down east, you'll see certain cities are dealing with an issue of certain things that they can't treat that's getting put back into the river. Um, those are going to be issues long term that I think are going to be addressed by the state. Now, whenever you, you guys um, 
when you, you mentioned second homes and, and so you've got a balance between primary residents, right? The people who live in the town full time versus those buying second homes from anywhere in the world, because, um, you know, America, you can buy a house. It doesn't matter where you're from. You can buy a house in, in, in the United States. When you go to sell, we can have a different conversation, but when you purchase, you can buy, you can be anywhere in the world and you can buy a home in the United States. Talk to me about the balance of your residents and, and those who own property uh, of primary versus secondary home. What, what you think it's 50, 50, 70, 30. What do you think that, that is right now? Um, you know, I haven't looked at it lately, but it, depending on which areas you kind of include in, in what we look at, it could be 50, 50 for us. Um, we like to think that it's higher um, because we see so many people so often, but there, there are a good amount of neighborhoods outside just outside of our city limits that are still serviced by some of our services that they're, you know, seasonal. I mean, we got a whole neighborhood up on the mountain, the gated community, you know, maybe 40, 50 homes, maybe 10 full-time residents, you know, so it's, it always kind of ebbs and flows, you know, and eventually what, what we see is if someone retires in, in Tron from say Charleston or wherever, across the world, uh, they can leave that home to a child or a beneficiary. Uh, sometimes those children may hold on to the home and it just becomes a vacation spot. Sometimes they flip it as soon as they can. And it just, it kind of, it depends on what's, what's going on in the world and stuff like that. But we have a lot of homes that are in trusts or second homes that have been inherited from family members that have just been kept solely to have that vacation spot in the mountains. As an attorney, I, I, I most of you know, my practice solely was real estate, transactional, commercial and residential. But sometimes I wish I would have gotten to estates or even, let's say, like an auctioneer. Right. Because you mentioned like when an estate comes through and these heirs get this property, yeah. people come out of the woodworks. Right. When there's money involved. I remember great aunt Sue told me that time when I was 12 that she was going to give this to me. Absolutely. I want it. It happens fast. Yeah, it happens so all the time. I could have met. <laughs> so, but that brings up an interesting perspective as a town manager, as it relates to financials. And so, if, if Tryon is focused a lot on um, tourism, right? Um, and obviously, equestrianism is is part of that. Brings in a lot of people. Vineyards brings in a lot of that as as some main sectors go. What has it been like for the town as we emerge out of COVID, as we continue on now to try to get back to reality? And when you're putting together a budget, because we're coming out of budget season right now, right? Like you guys, I know you've been working hard. I know we're, we're in full swing now in a 2022-2023 fiscal year budget. So what are, what's been the changes for you guys as a town as it relates to the budget? So for us, it's been the lack of stability. In, in terms of planning, that's that's the biggest issue that COVID's brought because, and, and it's not to say that it's bad. So, for instance, when COVID started and the whole world shut down, we started to see a trend and our, our sales tax started to go up. You know, and we're like, well, this is good. We're making more money. So, you know, but what it is is when people who say, for instance, live in Tryon but work in another city, had to start staying home all the time. They couldn't go out to eat in a different city or do whatever. They they went to the grocery store at home, and then they went home. And if they did venture out to restaurants once they opened up, they tried to stay local. And those numbers shot up. And we were one of the top like 
we'll say we were seven in the state in terms of growth for, for sales tax. I'd have to double check that, but um, we, we've done very well for ourselves and we're just, you know, we use the previous year's numbers to kind of plan, but are they going to continue? And we scaled back a little bit. We were more conservative in our estimates, but we, we've we seen those numbers continue to grow and it, it puts into our minds, we have to look at it as has patterns changed for citizens or have patterns changed for uh, regional tourism? You know, maybe it's someone in Asheville just wants to go out to eat, but they don't want to go downtown. They just come on down to us. Or same thing with Greenville, South Carolina. Do they just want to come up to try and catch a movie, whatever. So it's we've seen a lot of challenges when it comes to uh, predicting some of those numbers. And obviously during the pandemic, we had uh, laws put into place by the governor when it comes to, you know, water bill collecting. Uh, we had issues where, you know, people couldn't pay bills. So as a town, we try to work with everyone and do what we can to get through it together. But uh, it just makes it hard for us to forecast where we're going to sit. And there, there's been, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say with the, with the growth in property value, it's, you know, you got to start really looking at that because that's going to change how we do things in the future. It's interesting because even prior to COVID, right, you saw the the support local business mantra that, that was going on. And, and I think that amped up substantially as it relates to, to COVID because when you start seeing your local spots in your own town beginning to fold because they can't afford to do business anymore – it encourages the residents who live there to want to see their community thrive. And it's unfortunate that it takes like a bad thing for that to happen. Now, now we could talk about capitalism and whether a business should succeed or will succeed or not. That's a different conversation, but just to see support of local residents in their local town of their local businesses, I think is a very nice thing to see. So I, I'm a big fan of that as far as looking at it from a positive perspective and, and what's been going on. Now, you mentioned the rate changes, so uh, or you mentioned property taxes. So we've got property taxes and we've got sales taxes, right? So two main revenue drivers for a municipality, sales tax. Uh, talk to me about where you guys are in your current rate, the rate itself. Do you think it will continue to go higher? Are you guys at a good point with your sales tax rate right now? Um, I mean, so our sales tax is going to stay the same. I mean, it's the, the way it works in North Carolina is um, you can get different articles and you can opt to elect in and we're not going to go up or down anytime soon. But those numbers keep jumping up for us because of the sheer amount of volume that we're seeing. The more people are eating out, more people are coming to our movie theater as opposed to the large AMC one town over. You know, we're seeing people invest locally, whether that's out of compassion or out of fear, I'm not quite sure, but we have seen a huge growth in in daily visits to what we have to offer. I mean, we get people that come down from places like Asheville and Hendersonville all the time or come up from Greenville or Greer just to eat go to a movie and you know it's it's one of those things where we you know we try to bank on we we know what's going to happen we know what's going to occur and everything that we do but we also have to admit we have no clue why this is occurring you know so it's just do the best we can and 
we don't we don't expect anything to change with sales tax on our side, but we do expect it to continue to grow. I think the world has changed post COVID. I find it surprising, Zach, that you don't have the crystal ball because I was expecting you out of anybody to have the crystal ball to know the future and be able to tell everybody what is exactly yeah. going to happen. A lot of managers. I know that's what people want. A lot of managers will tell you they know everything, but I'm here to tell you that ain't the truth. <laughs> well, well, and I and I look at it from a basis perspective to where, in my opinion, and, and focusing on real estate for a second, I think we have to throw out the stats of. 2020 second half and 2021. Yeah. A a lot of people fight me on that, but the last normal market was 2019, right? right? Like, 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 let's be real. That was the last normal market. When, when everyone got locked up in their house, it became, oh my goodness, we need a bigger house or we need to make updates. So property values began skyrocketing purely based on demand. And so we talk about property taxes now it's a big question, right? Because if you got to have a neutral budget, right? So are we, are you kind of looking at it and is the staff looking at it from a perspective of, okay, this is an opportunity for us to raise some additional revenue for maybe some capital expenditures, some expansion, or are we going to lower that rate potentially because the value is going up to kind of keep a net neutral and keep the existing expenditure values? Yeah. So when, when we look at how we do our budgeting you know we we meet with the the mayor and the commissioners multiple times throughout the year starting in like november ish december and we have to get their feedback in terms of what they want to see and if they're die hard no taxes we as staff know all right let's do our job and let's do it the best we can we'll make the sacrifices we have to make because there are you know unfunded mandates that occur uh you know this past uh, fiscal, we were told we had to lift uh, about one percent for retirement. You know, and that's that's not it's not easy to do. So, you know, the, people think there's a lot of waste in government, and and I'm not going to disagree for the larger scale of operations, but I do implore everyone that lives in a medium to small town go look at your budget and 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 see what it is because a lot of times you'll find. There may not be a lot of waste because what happens is mayors and councils tend to keep that in check and the staff has to make adjustments. But for us, we're not looking we're not looking to kind of grow anything with rates. We always look to grow with the overall value. So as the property values go up, we do create more money with the same tax value, same assessed rate. So we, we always try to do that first. If push comes to shove, we have to have serious discussions with our citizens, with our mayor, with our council, with staff about why we're raising taxes. What, what's the importance of it? What's it going to fund directly? So, You mentioned the 1% for the retirement. I, I, I saw that as well from the state mandate perspective and, and having for benefits, right? It's, it's, a, it's a benefits conversation, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not going to get into the politics of, of – of that right now, but from a perspective of personnel costs, um, because you've got a lot of competition, I imagine. Right? Oh, yeah. Someone comes into the town of Tryon, let's say works a couple of years, works real hard, gets a great education in town and municipality management, and then all of a sudden they get that nice offer down the road, right? Or a few counties over or across the state. What's it looking like for the town of Tryon as it relates to personnel costs and, and raising of wages and salaries? Uh, we, we recently... Uh, raised our minimum rate that we would pay to 15 an hour 
for some of the, the entry-level positions. Um, but even that feels too little too late. You know, I mean, it's you got Chick-fil-A paying kids out of high school 19 an hour, and you expect me to find someone to work their tail off, you know, whether it's picking up trash or, or digging holes for sewer pipe. It, it's hard. And, you know, I, I tell my staff and I tell my citizens and I tell my board all the time, if you expect someone to be willing to drive 30 minutes to try on to work, there's nothing saying they can't drive 30 minutes in the opposite direction. So we compete with every municipality, every construction company, every plumbing company, you know, any, any of those vital services um, within an hour. And you have to compare the rates that you pay to everyone within an hour. It, it's very hard. And, and it's getting harder and harder to find uh, quality people that, that can come in at the rate that we can offer. We're not in the private sector. We can't offer a lot of money for salary because we, we do provide benefits. And we have great benefits. But there's a different culture today than there was 20 years ago. And from what I've seen, a lot of, a lot of whether it's uh, you know eighteen to thirty, I, some people just look at the dollar figure. They'll give up twelve thousand dollars in benefits a year for you know a dollar an hour, and it's just a it's a tough conversation to really have. And I think that's a part of life experiences. So my wife's a kindergarten teacher, and so she's got access to the state health plan. And mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you, I could nitpick particular things, but the benefits of the state health plan are strong in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I like the state health plan. I, I, like I said, I could nitpick particular things depending on – we can get into prescriptions. We can get into other things, and that's not the point of today. But but there are resources, and there's, there's value to benefits. Um, when you talk about 401Ks and you think about yeah. retirement, Right. We could sit around and talk about Social Security and whether that's going to be here even in the next few years. Right. right? So I would encourage people who are looking, don't just look at it from a, from a dollar rate in the paycheck, yeah. but also what you get from a benefits and also experience. Because in a place like Tryon, I'm going to imagine, Zach, someone's going to be able to come in and actually do the job of governance and, and yeah. of taking care of a town or a municipality. So don't put that off because that's what yeah. eventually, not to say you're going to be in you know local government forever and that's fine, but come into a place like Tryon and give it a shot because, man, the experience you're going to get is, is invaluable compared to others that where you're just sitting around doing nothing all day. So I would encourage people to do that. Um, I, I took a look at your budget. You encourage people to take a look at your budget. I always enjoy reading budgets. I'm weird like that. I also enjoy reading uh, minutes from town board meetings, uh, planning notes, things like that. I'm, I'm big on that. Uh, sale of capital assets in 2022. You guys got allocated about 160 thousand worth of sale of capital assets. What's going on there? Can you can you, you got anything on that you can share with me on that? What are you guys looking to sell off? I believe that was the um, the old Melrose Inn. So we took a there there was a bed and breakfast in town on Melrose Avenue. It was called the Melrose Inn. Uh, you know, really nice facility. Um, very old. Needed a little bit of TLC, but. Uh, huge, you know, like 20-something rooms or something. Uh, caught on fire. There was a real weird issue with the property owner and whoever had the note on the building. And it, a lot of legal stuff that got involved. And finally, my board got so tired of it, we we bought the property. 
and we cleaned it up because their ins the insurance on the property owner was not going to do anything. It was a whole thing. So we bought the property, we cl cleaned it up, and we just flipped it. So we did. So there you go. So you guys are in the real estate business too, then, huh? How yeah, about that? yeah. We're allowed to be in North Carolina. There's a little bit more laws to it, but yeah, we. I mean, we just we took it into our own hands and we we cleaned it up and we sold it. The, the second largest expense, it looks like, besides personnel, like we talked about, right? But police police is a large expense there. Talk to me about about the terrain that the police have to deal with and try on the equipment that they have to use yeah. there training talk to me about about your local police force and and kind of what they're dealing with these days yeah so the police business is a funny business it's it it can be very expensive to provide police officers to a community um not only are you having to pay someone uh but in today's world we're seeing less and less people graduate from these programs to become police officers so much like the inventory issue with real estate there's an inventory issue with police officers. There's just not enough out there. So that means that one person that would have been worth $30,000 a year six years ago, now they're probably worth $40,000 a year, and they're the exact same person. Uh, but but then you have to, obviously, you have to outfit them. You have to provide equipment. You have to provide police vehicles. Uh, you have to pay for the software that is inside the police vehicles, and that stuff's not cheap. You know, and they're on recurring budgets, then you have to have dispatchers, then you have to have equipment for them to dispatch on, then you have to have all the radios. It it does add up, and it adds up fast. And, and for us, um, we send our officers to as many trainings as we can. Uh, we've been lucky enough to steal really qualified individuals from neighboring uh, municipalities or counties and, and bring people in with real experience, not just, uh, you know, person fresh out of BLET. I mean, we're stealing people with 20 years experience and we're investing in them because it, it makes for a more well-rounded police force. It makes for a police force that's more intelligent, that's more seasoned. Uh, the people that know I can talk my way out of this as opposed to using force. And so we see a huge difference in our community than I think what's portrayed in the media to 99% to of the country. I, I think, uh, generally speaking, I, I, it's hard to. It'd be hard for me to come up to a counter argument to this, but people want to feel safe, right? right? People want to feel like they can live in their community mm -hmm. freely and, and without worry of harm to themselves mm -hmm. or to their family or to their property, their physical property as well. Do you see a lot of your officers walking the downtown area, um, you know, hanging out with the residents or checking on people, relationships with officers? Our officers, uh, I. I love them all. They're really great people. They are so different from what a lot of towns are used to. And, and we actively go out and find those people. We had a position open for probably about a year or more. But our police chief was very adamant, and I, I respect it, and I agree with it. He was, this is a small department. This is a department that has a huge impact on the community. I don't want to just get in a geek off the street. Like, we have to get someone that fits the mold of what we want to portray and put that out there. I mean, we have officers that get out and talk to the business owners. We have the first-name basis with business owners, citizens. They walk the streets at night. They check all the downtown district. They check all the doors, you know, make sure that the business owner locked their door. If not, they'll call them up on their cell phone at 2 a.m. and leave a message and say, hey, 
your door's unlocked. Um, but it, it, it's a, everything in this world is, you know, you portray who you want to be, you know, whether it's the age old, like dress for the job you want kind of deal. Our officers wear the traditional LA blues, uh, nothing crazy. And then you go to some municipalities and, you know, every officer's dressed out like they're going to do some SWAT thing or, you know, like they're dressed for war and, it's a necessity in some areas. I get that. And trying, it's not. And our officers opt to just be as casual as they can be. And it, it makes for a more approachable officer to everyone in the community. It makes for a, an easier environment, especially in today's world, to be a little bit more open uh, and have the real world discussions. So, yeah, our officers are very community friendly. Equestrian community, police officers, do you have officers that ride horses in the town of Tryon? No, we do not. Um, I think at one point, way before I got here, they may have actually talked about that from what the police chief said. But uh, horses are very expensive. Believe it or not, outfitting a police vehicle is a lot cheaper than getting a horse. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. But well, the, well, let's talk. Go ahead. I was just saying there'd be people that would love for us to have officers on horses. This guy right here. This guy right here would love to see it. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, nothing terrifies me more than the thought of getting kicked in the face by a horse. So uh, definitely increases your stature if you can ride a horse gracefully. So I'll, I'll just throw that out there. Uh, ARP dollars, American Rescue Plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it looking like for, for the town of Tryon? Everybody got some cash, Zach. Everybody got some. Yeah. What do, what do we want to do with it in the town of Tryon? Uh, we're actually, both the CARES Act and the ARPA, we're finding ways in which to spend the money. Uh, CARES Act, for instance, we actually use that to pay the salary of police and fire. That was an allowable expense under the CARES Act. For us, it made the most sense because we were already going to pay that anyway, right? So we use the CARES Act money. The money we were going to spend in the operating budget just goes back into our coffers. So if we want to elect and say all that money can now go toward a new playground, we just wait a fiscal year and we buy a playground, build a playground. Um, There were allowable expenses that you could do, uh, and for us, we felt it would just be best to utilize it in the manner which made it easiest to get through. And then the following year, that money is freed up. We can do whatever we want to with it. And we're essentially doing the same thing with, with the ARPA money. We're not, you know, we're doing a salary uh, reimbursement portion to it, but it's basically for us, the easiest thing to do, and this is the name of the game when it comes to federal government, they, they have a lot of stipulations on what you can and can't do, a lot of forms you have to fill out, and a lot of you know, tracking that you have to do on this stuff. The easiest use of this expense is going to be for us to do the salary because it takes less of my time. It takes less of my staff's time. We still get the money at the end of the day. We can put it toward whatever we need to. Uh, and I think citizens would appreciate knowing that it takes me a, you know an hour to do this paperwork as opposed to you know, a month of a couple hours a day. And 
you know, it just for us it makes sense. We're not getting a lot of money like you see in the news. So we're we're very small compared to compared to some of the numbers that you're seeing out there. Well, and, and if, if they're going to give out money, um, look, Zach, I'm not going to argue with getting free money. Okay, if the federal government's going to give people money and I'm going to get some money, I'm going to spend it or I'm going to do something with it that's going to improve my life or, or the life of my citizens or, or my yeah. family, right? I think I think we can all agree on that. Let's put aside whether the dollars should be given. Right. It's, it's been given, so, so let's move on from that part of the conversation. One of the things I think about is, okay, so if you go for a salary-style uh, payout, my concern becomes if it's within a fiscal year that it required an increase of salaries, what, how do you hedge then against the future where you have to increase revenues for a municipality to cover those costs future years down the road? Does that make sense? How do you balance like, okay, you get a one-time chance now to, to use some dollars, um, but let's, let's put it towards something that is going to, in the future, we have to then continue to sustain to sustain What's that process like for you? So for us, it was, it was the idea. It was the concept of if you don't use it, it's going to go away, right? Every citizen in the town of Trine is going to have to pay this whether they like it or not. It's, it's not free money. It's coming out of their federal taxes. And more than likely, they're not going to be paying for it. Their children will. My 16-month-year-old child will be paying for this in 40 years. And the concept is, if they're offering us these dollars, we need to figure out a way to get every dollar that we can, leave nothing on the table, and put that into our coffers so that we get that. And at least, it's not free money, but we at least get our portion that they took or taking from us and giving back to us. You know what I mean? From a Oh, I'm following you. Right. You so, caught me there on the free money piece. I didn't think you were that sharp, but you got me on that. So right. there you go. Kudos. So the, the thing is... For us, the salaries, you know, say our salaries are 20 bucks a year. Um, we're using that 20 bucks from the government to pay that 20 bucks. We're not really affecting, we're not doing the one-time increases. We did that. We gave all of our citizens, or not citizens, we gave all of our staff members uh, $2,000 for working through COVID. Because all of our citizens, we, or all of our staff, we told them, you know, you got to come in. You can't just not put water and sewer into the ground. You can't not fix the leaks. You can't not have police. You can't not have fire. So by doing that, we said, you know, we'll just do something nice. We gave them $2,000 a piece. Uh, but that didn't come out of any of that free money. That came out of the town's coffers. Um, and then we're taking this free money. We're putting it toward the salaries. We're not really increasing the salaries with the money. So it's, it's basically for us, it's just a wash. You know, it's just use that money and then the following year we can take it and put it where it needs to go. And I was joking with you before. I know you're sharp. So oh, no. Dude, I, 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 don't, I don't want people to think otherwise. No, that, you're that good. I, you're that good. I would, that I would disparage you like that. So, all right. Talk to me about the Harmon Field Fund. I saw that. I saw those line items. What What is this Harmon Field Fund going on there in the town of Tryon? Man, so where to even begin? Harmon Field is a 47-acre sports complex that the town owns and operates. Uh, horses, we have horse rings, we have small putting green, we have big football fields, we have soccer fields, we have baseball fields, we have a dog park, we have a playground, we have cabins and picnic shelters that you can rent out for family gatherings, uh, disc golf, 
uh, a river that cuts through it, little beach areas, uh, get stocks so there's fishing, basketball courts, rock climbing wall. I mean, you name it, we kind of got it, right? It was given to us many moons ago, I want to say back in the 20s, by the Harmon family out of New York. They created like a hundred of these across the country. Uh, we've obviously bought property next to it throughout the years. We've grown it ourselves, but the initial start of it was that initial acreage. There's only a handful of them in the country that still operate. It's this park is so big that we actually went through the general assembly in early nineties has its own tax district, which is why it has its own separate fund. So we have to operate that fund completely separate. Uh, it gets audited separately. It gets taxed and billed and paid separately. Uh, the county works in conjunction in approving any tax increase or decrease for Harmon Field. Uh, so, you know, the board itself um, is made up of county representatives, town representatives, and they switch in terms of leverage. So three for county, two for trying, and then next go around, it's the opposite. Uh, unique situation, I've never seen it anywhere else, but it's a phenomenal uh, aspect to work in as a manager, but it's also an amazing thing to be able to offer your citizens. If it hadn't been for Harmon Field, the town of Tryon probably would have went insane during COVID. You know, it was one of those things where you know, you have somewhere to go and get out if you don't have that in your home or apartment. So it was it was a really good thing for us to have at that time, and it's a great thing to have year-round. It actually puts you guys ahead of most municipalities because I, a lot of the conversations in, let's say, more metro areas are conversations about green space, parks, greenways, mm -hmm those types of features so for you to already have that component in your town i think yeah. is a huge advantage and that's great and i and I, I love the fact that you guys are keeping it up and, you, and you're keeping it going why not right because if it's about a quality of life yeah. uh, and having a, a top-notch one people want to get outside they want to do stuff they want to have activities to do you mentioned disc golf and a putting green is there a, is there a good golf club or country club or anything like that in the town of tryon any type of place to play yeah we've we've golf? got a country club in trial it's on uh, country club road but it's uh it's a donald ross course if if you know anything about golf which i'm, I'm not a golf fan i'm usually I'm usually they got barbecuing at all of our golf tournaments <laughs> but the it's a donald ross designed course from the early 1900s i believe and it was originally a walking course like before they had golf carts right so it's uh, nine hole, it's you know beautiful layout. Uh, the people that know golf really like it. Um, so we do have fairly active golf community. There's probably another three or four um, clubs or courses within you know a short drive from us. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's nice. So you mentioned barbecue. You a vinegar based guy, or, or or what? What are we What are we talking? Yeah, from the yeah, I'm vinegar all day. I, I okay. got no quarrels right. about it. I'm an Eastern North Carolina barbecue fan. I think the only reason you cover up meats because you can't cook it right. 
So, <laughs> Some people would say those are fight words, Zach. I'm, they would. I'm, we're going to leave it. They we're would. Gonna... <laughs> so, so far, when we come to the town of Tryon, you and I are going to play polo, we're going to play golf, and we're going to barbecue. So yeah, I, I'm just sure. putting together Let's our itinerary um, while walking around the beautiful downtown with uh, a nice glass of something that I'm gonna that we can buy yeah, at a local absolutely. vineyard there, which is exciting. Um, strategic location. I think that geography. Uh, oh, I, I'm a big fan of North Carolina. I grew up in North Carolina. Uh, my family um, isn't. I wasn't born here, but I moved here so young. It's all I know, right? So I, I consider this home. Uh, you and I both attended Appalachian State University, mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I'm a big North Carolina fan. I think overall North Carolina has a huge ge- geographic advantage in the country right now, mm-hmm. especially the East Coast, but in general as it relates to the country, I'm a huge fan. I'm looking at the town of Tryon on a map, and I'm thinking the same thing because of your proximity to larger cities, but close enough that people can live there, visit there, and Mm -hmm. still reach those greater metros. Uh, I mean, if I'm looking at Greenville, South Carolina, I'm looking at Asheville, North Carolina, I'm looking at Charlotte, North Carolina, and then we're going even, let's go regional, Columbia, South Carolina, let's talk Atlanta, you guys are kind of in a great geographic location. Yeah. How much of that do you see as participating toward the success of Tryon in the future? Oh, I mean, it's the location for us is a majority of past, present, and future success of the town. Um, I mean, obviously, there are things that we do as staff. We lay a good foundation. For, but if, if you want to be really honest, we, as, as people from Tryon, we live... Um, in a small town that you see on, you know, Andy Griffin, or you see on a Hallmark movie. We live in that typical small town, but you can get in your car and you can go out to eat in Nashville. You can go out to eat in Greenville. You can go do anything you need to and be home. It's not like you're driving across the state. Um, you're close to these large metro urban populations that have all these amenities not only that, but in your small town, you have a ton of those cultural amenities already, whether it be the fine arts center, the movie theater, you know, the bands downtown, the the drinking, the the shopping, the, the eating. I mean, it's a great location overall. And what we are seeing is that those people who can afford to live in Tryon are starting to choose to do so more and more. Because you're seeing the values of Asheville go so high. It's just, they may be able to afford it, but it's just, at that point, it's not worth it to a lot of people. And they're, they're making that transition to a smaller community to still have the same access. It's, it's a trend across the country, and definitely North Carolina as the population continues to increase. If you look at your Wake counties, your Mecklenburg counties, your Buncombe counties, mm-hmm. um, you're seeing the population trends begin to expand outward. Um, and as transportation increases, which we didn't get into today, but I'm sure you know infrastructure and things like that are, are always an important mm-hmm. conversation of, of a town like Tryon where people come coming and going through, right? You guys want to maintain that access. You want to maintain that flow of traffic. Um, but we can, we can get into that next time. But uh, Zach, really appreciate you your time town manager zach allis of the town of tryon tryon nc.com zach i really appreciate your time today yeah absolutely thank you so much for having me absolutely today's real talk today's real talk.com coming right back with a q a session (laughs) 
Justin Kazepis, Today's Real Talk, todaysrealtalk.com, 844-STUDIO-4. We are ready for some Q&A. Also, if you want to get this content directly to your mobile device, text Get Real to 844-STUDIO-4. Again, text Get Real to 844-STUDIO-4. That way, every time new content comes out, you just get it right to your phone. You don't even have to search for it, hunt for it. We're going to put it right in your hands. First question of the day coming from John out of Hendersonville. When are property taxes due in North Carolina? So John in Hendersonville wants to know, when are property taxes due in North Carolina? That is a fantastic question. And so each year, statutorily, the municipalities run on a fiscal year that is from July 1st through June 30th. Real estate property taxes, the bill comes out, you'll receive it sometime uh, likely between July and August, right? Because as part of the budget, the municipalities have to set their tax rates and have done their valuations for properties as part of that fiscal year. So you'll receive that bill. It's considered due September 1st of that particular calendar year, not considered late until January 5th, the following calendar year. So 2022, you get your bill in hand. It is considered due for the 2022 tax bill, September 1st, 2022. It is not considered late, meaning you can pay the same amount anytime between September 1st and January 5th of 2023, and it would not be considered late. So if you have a mortgage on your house and your lender pays your tax bill annually, meaning that your taxes are included within your mortgage payment, likely sometime between September and January, any month in there, the lender can pay the bill. A lot of lenders will pay them in December. They want to pay all their bills, right? Because at one particular time, because they've got a portfolio of loans. So they want to pay them all at the same time. So it's not uncommon to wait to see that bill paid until December. But that doesn't mean that it's late. It's not considered late until January 5th of the following year. Thanks, John, for that question. That was fantastic. Another question here coming from Sally out of Wilmington. Why are interest rates adjusting so frequently? Sally, what a fantastic question. Sally, I'm just making a note. Sally asks good questions is what I wrote down just now. Why are interest rates adjusting so frequently? So inflation um, is occurring in the country. That's old news at this point. Uh, What that means is the cost of goods are rising at such a rapid rate. And so what the Federal Reserve, the, the, uh, I guess I'll call them the the organization that controls uh, the supply uh, of money within our country, they have particular tools, right? Like it's like we talked about with Zach, there's tools for a municipality in taxes to, to generate revenues, mostly within sales tax and property taxes. So the Fed can control interest rates as part of allowing uh, dollars to continue to be in circulation or also to bring dollars out of circulation. So when the Federal Reserve raise interest rates, there is a corresponding effect to that because people who borrow money from the Fed 
That's the banks. The banks borrow money from the Federal Reserve. So when the cost of them to, for them to borrow money gets more expensive, they want to make money on that money they're borrowing. So for instance, if let's say the Federal Reserve rate was 2.5%, right? So for every $100, you have to pay back an additional $2.50 to borrow that money. Well, they're not going to do it at cost. Banks aren't going to do it at cost. They want to make money for their shareholders, for the people who are investing in their business. That could be account owners, depending on the type of bank. So they are going to offer money out to their consumers or people that they lend money to, borrowers, at a higher interest rate. So let's say that the bank borrows at a 2.5%. The bank may lend it out at, let's say, uh, 4, 5, 6%, right? Because they're going to make money on that difference in addition to what they have to pay back. So at a time right now when interest rates are going up and down, mostly up right now, you're seeing a substantial change in interest rates related to mortgages. There are a couple other factors. Um, if you really want to dive into it, well, another consideration would become the 10-year treasury bond yields. That's another metric that people use to determine or banks will use to determine um, what to charge for interest rates. We had a great discussion previously about different type of assets and the risks that are associated with them. Now, real estate traditionally for primary residents being a low risk asset for people that borrow against it because you have to have a place to live. So a primary residence, right? And if you think about your daily life, you want to be able to stay in your home. You want to keep your family in your home. So mentally, right, um, you're going to make sure you pay that bill likely over other bills that you have. So it being a less risky asset, um, the interest rate tends to be a little bit closer to what the borrowing interest rate is for banks. So if you look at the 10-year treasury, yield and say, okay, I can get, if I lend money to the Federal Reserve, which you can do, or to the Treasury, I can buy bonds to pay for the government spending. Let's say that's paying out 4%. Well, if I could, if I could give money to that to make money at 4%, well, that's the treasury, right? The treasury, uh, uh, if the government defaults, right, everyone else has already defaulted from a risk category. So if I can make 4% from the government guaranteeing my money, I'm definitely going to charge anybody else a higher rate. So that's another way you can look at it. So the Federal Reserve rate, also the 10-year treasury bond, if you want to get into some technical specifics about interest rates. Excellent question again, though, Sally. I really appreciate that. Now we've got Jill. Jill has written us in from Eastern North Carolina. Do I need to get a survey when I buy a property? Oh, my spidey senses are tingling on this one. Do I need to get a survey when I buy a property? Do you have to get a survey when you buy a property? 99% of the time, traditionally speaking, on a primary residence, I have yet to see a lender in North Carolina because North Carolina title insurance doesn't require it, so lenders don't require you to get a survey. Now, need to and should, I would say, are two different things. My recommendation is, and I, and I live this personally for myself as well whenever I buy property, I would not buy a property without getting a survey or obtaining a survey that was very recently, and when I mean very recently, 90 days, maybe 120 days max that has been completed by the current landowner. There's a couple of reasons why. 
Um, one reason is financially protecting the asset you're purchasing. So whenever you buy a property, uh, you should also always get title insurance. Title insurance protects your uh, ownership rights that are vested within the property. Like a traditional insurance policy, there are exceptions to that insurance coverage. One of the quote-unquote standard exceptions in North Carolina for title insurance are matters that would be revealed had the buyer gotten a survey. So if you choose not to get a survey, your title insurance will afford no coverage to any matter that would be revealed via a survey. Why is that important? There are things that only a survey can reveal. For example, the exact position of lot lines, the exact position of particular structures and items that are along and within the property. Does your fence stay within the boundaries? Is it within the uh, applicable setback lines of your property or do you encroach? Do Does something you've built or the previous owner built or the fence that's on that property encroach past the setback line or maybe all the way onto the neighbor's property? Is the impervious allotted impervious square footage already taken up by existing structures? Is the maximum allowed Buildable square footage, the impervious area already taken up by the existing structures. If you're wanting to add anything to a property whenever you're buying it, if you don't know the impervious area, which is shown via a survey, then you don't know whether or not you truly will even be able to build that additional structure or maybe a pool, right? Maybe something of the sort. Uh, that you're looking to do. So those are just a couple of examples, but there are very specific things that only a survey can reveal. So the short answer to my very long explanation, absolutely. You should always get a survey whenever you're buying property with one carve out exception, I will say. And that's if you're buying a condo that includes no land. If there is no land being conveyed with the property, let's say you're buying a 10th floor sky rise, you know, uh, high rise uh, apartment or a condo, then no, you don't need a survey in that instance because there is no land being conveyed. There are other title situations that, that I won't go down the rabbit hole of that are related to that. But for a survey, that would be my only exception. If you are buying a condo that does not include land. <sighs> what a great day. Thanks for joining us. Justin Kazepis, Today's Real Talk, todaysrealtalk.com, 844-STUDIO-4. Shoot us a message. Give us a call. Happy to get your questions answered on the next show if we didn't answer your question today. Thanks to our guest, Zach Aulis, town manager of the town of Tryon, the friendliest town in the South. Great place to be, great place to live. Check it out next time you're driving through if you want a good place to visit. Highly encourage that. Again, Justin Kazepis, Today's Real Talk, todaysrealtalk.com. We'll catch you next time.